This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome back to the 343 Podcast. In this week's episode, Gary and I continue covering the topic of early talent identification. This is part two of a two-part series. You can find part one, which I highly suggest you go and listen to as a primer to this conversation. Uh, You can find that on 343coaching.com because that will set you up nicely for what we are going to tackle in this particular conversation. And in this round, we dive deep into some very important topics, such as how to calibrate yourself to see and read the game differently, why you need to develop pattern recognition and pattern matching. And we also talk about the difference between exerting energy on basics versus advanced actions. Now, these are the sorts of things that we should be looking for and subsequently should be talking about when it comes to players in American soccer. These are the sorts of things that are going to drive our nation forward. And these are the sorts of conversations that I get really excited about. And I hope that you do too. As always, let us know if you have any questions about anything that we discuss. Your questions, your thoughts, your comments are always welcomed. So please don't be shy. Reach out to us if you have some feelings about this episode. And we will get started right after this quick message about our player masterclass. Our flagship program helps coaches and trainers discern what is good for their teams and for their players. But now we've created a program for parents because parents, you are personal trainers too. Yep, that's right. And in order to properly mentor your player, you need to know what's good and what's not. Just like coaches, you and your player are flooded with thousands of training videos on YouTube and Instagram, but most of them are a waste of time because they aren't relevant. They don't translate to the real game and figuring out what does and what doesn't and why is just flat out difficult, especially if you don't have a background in soccer to lean on. So we've taken Brian Clyburn's more than 20 years of experience working with teams and individual players from U9 to U19 and extracted valuable lessons that can help you navigate the minefield that is American youth soccer. But this isn't just about drills. That's only a small fraction of it. And to be honest, you can get drills anywhere. What you're getting with the 343 Masterclass are the cultural lessons and an education and philosophy that other trainers and courses don't offer. It's these elements that can help you understand the landscape, read the game on and off the field, and translate everything into real development for your player. Right now, you can get on the list for the 343 Masterclass. We're currently rolling it out little by little to small groups. To reserve your spot, go to 343masterclass.com. Com. We talked about a bunch of other stuff. Actually, I wanted to pull up your tweet because you you mentioned something today that was in the same realm of all the stuff we're going to discuss. Give me one second. You were responding to Southern Gentleman and you said, he asked, what is an objective set of criteria for picking national team players? And you responded with uh, how much club level factors into selection depends on how good or bad of an eye the one doing the selecting has. And you followed up with everyone uses a different set of criterion. And the really important stuff is stuff not captured by common objective measures. And in general can't be captured by objective measures. So this goes back into another topic that we discussed, which was, you know, how do you quantify or how do you measure this type of stuff? People want to be able to measure you know, how good a player is and people want to be able to learn, uh, you know, what you see or, or use what you use in order to judge a player. But that's not necessarily how things work. You can't just transfer what you see. And, and you know, this guy can't just take that, that same set of, uh, of, of criterion and, and, you know, come up with the same thoughts or answers that you come up with. I don't know how, how to ask a question about that, but it's just like that, that topic seems to always come up. Yeah, it it always comes up. 
for the very reasons that you just mentioned. They think maybe there's a formula or a recipe or a copy and paste sort of procedure that can be done for them to see what others see or vice versa. And it, it's it's just not true. We talked about it last time, John, about the pattern recognition and the pattern matching. When we're talking about pattern recognition, pattern matching, we say the word pattern because it's not just one objective data point that you're considering or that your brain is is looking at. It is the amalgamation of dozens of data points or hundreds of data points that your brain processes into a pattern and you can't disentangle those hundreds of things. So for example, the only way I can express myself about the technique of a player uh, when it's super high quality and super high level, when we say quality, it's unquantifiable. I'm looking at the smoothness of which the of how the player receives a pass, the smoothness or the sensation of how effortless it is for this player to distribute a 25-yard daisy cutter pass. And these are just things that, you know, how do you objectively quantify smoothness? Uh, I don't think that you can. And that's the problem. You know, you, you take two different players and maybe you look at a clip in isolation of the two different players and they both complete the same 25-yard pass. And on the stat sheet, it shows they both completed it. And even when you look at it, you might see it as a similar type of stroke or a similar type of uh, weight of the pass, distance of the pass. All of those things are objective. But there is a there is a quality to a pass that doesn't get captured in a number. And, and that is what I'm looking at. If I see, I don't know, Luka Modric play a filtered ball to... Uh, Karim Benzema or whatever through two defenders and then I see uh, Weston McKinney you know play a ball a filtered ball through two defenders to Josie Altador well maybe they both completed the pass and maybe it looks the same uh, to almost everybody but to me I see that there is a difference you just see the caressing of the ball and and the biomechanics of it all and the effortlessness of it all or or how cumbersome it is for somebody to do such a thing. And that's what I'm getting at, you know, and everybody doesn't want to hear it because in my opinion, it is, I'm basically telling them, you know, sorry, you're, you're just not going to get to this level. And if you want to get to this level of player identification, you know, my only formula recipe is study for 20 years, develop some pattern recognition with the gold standard that is world-class players and world-class teams. And hopefully your brain develops these pattern recognition uh, faculties to be able to discern what I'm talking about. And, and it sucks. It sucks for, to hear that. And, and, but it's my explanation. I can't, I can't, I can't deny it. That is my explanation. Yeah, I remember somebody just recently asked Brian, you know, how can I get to your level or something like that? And Brian's like, you don't want to be at my level. You don't want to spend the amount of time that I've spent, you know, studying all the patterns, studying, you know, every little uh, piece of, of players, of a player's quality of a team's quality and, and dedicating, you know, that amount of time to it because it's, it's not, it's not something luxurious. And I don't know if people understand that. And it's not that I'm saying a master at all. I'm just trying to describe my process and what I think has happened to me, you know, and, and if I'm at a round table and across from me, I have Mourinho and Pep Guardiola and, and uh, Tuchel and Klopp and all these guys. Well, guess what? I am going to shut my mouth and I'm only going to listen and take notes. And if I'm on the bench next to these guys, I'm going to shut my mouth, listen, take notes and study. I'm not going to be running my mouth because I'm presuming that, that it's, it's, it's almost a certainty that these guys are at a much higher level than I am. But there are levels to this thing. You know, it also reminds me of, I don't know what podcast I was listening to. Maybe it was Artificial Intelligence with Lex Friedman because he, I think he had an, uh, like a master level jazz player on there who also happened to be a, a physicist or a mathematician and they first started talking about the music side of things 
And this a, a similar discussion kind of got struck up where it's like, how can you discern, you know, one person who's playing the same notes as another person? I mean, you can sit there and if you're talking guitar now, if you can sit there and you know the notes that Jimi Hendrix plays and somebody can spend five, 10, 15 years practicing those notes and executing those notes. But when Jimmy plays it, when this other guy plays it, there is a certain something that is different. And there, and it's like almost unquantifiable. There's a soul to it. There's a feel to it. Um, I don't know. It, that, that's just a thought that crossed my mind, John. And the, the other thought is so many people out there, I'm sure have read the, read the book Mastery. Uh, by Robert Greene. I know you have. And I think he gets into this as well, that th there is a point where you kind of graduate beyond the objective measures, beyond the mechanics of doing a task. And then it, it doesn't feel mechanical anymore. You just, you just are in a flow. And that's, I don't know, that's what, that's how I describe it. Yeah. And that book mastery, I'm pretty sure Robert Greene spends a significant amount of time talking about John Coltrane. So going back to like your jazz example and, and how, you know, John Coltrane kind of learned how to play everything else under the sun and play it just like everybody else. And then he differentiated himself by playing all of those things differently as well. So that's what kind of, you know, set him apart from everybody else is that he was good at, at everything else that everybody could do. And then he was really, really good at, you know, his way of doing it. And it, it, it's hard to... Yeah, it's hard to quantify that. It's hard to it's hard to explain how that is even possible. I certainly can't with with the example of music, but I know that that's what Robert Greene tried to tried to do in his book. Yeah, and again, I, I'm not trying to say I'm some God's gift at all. I'm j I'm just being sincere. I want to go back to the two examples that you gave. Something you described, you know, one scenario is looking effortless and one scenario is looking cumbersome. And this is something that I've, I've tried to point out to people before about players oftentimes in American soccer look like they have to work very hard to do something that is very simple. And so to me, I've kind of calibrated myself to see this aspect of it. You know, if a player looks like they have to actually think about receiving the ball across the body, for example, you know, that's, that's not effortless. And you watch it, you know, kids or even professionals, uh, Barcelona, Manchester city, whatever you, you can see that those guys don't have to think about that. It just happens. And so in American soccer, especially at the youth level, it's like you, you really do see the, the players that it's cumbersome for them to do some of the very simple things. And that should be, there could possibly be something that people take away from this. You know, can you identify the players where it looks like they are putting in labor to do something very simple? No, it's a hundred percent right, John. Uh, can you identify when a player has to concentrate and focus to receive on their first touch? I, I think that's a huge factor to all of this. When you look at the world-class players, you mentioned city and Barcelona and Real Madrid and all these top, top level players and teams, these players aren't thinking about, okay, here it comes. You know, let me orient my body this way. Okay. I should probably stiffen my foot a certain amount, you know, so I, it doesn't get away from me in my first touch. There is no labor involved in receiving. They just do it. And that frees up brain power, brain cycles, energy to do the more advanced things such as okay, here comes the ball, I'm going to receive it, and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z next. Or you're scanning the field while the ball's in transit. And so that's where your energy is devoted to. So on your next pass or on your next decision, you've exerted and focused all your energy there, and you're able to execute it. Contrast it with the prototypical American player that is elevated in our country and ultimately makes it up to the national team or MLS because they've been elevated and they've been selected to do so. They are spending a lot of energy in trying to receive the ball and not lose it, not cough it up. So if you're spending so much energy there, you're not spending the energy required to understand your surroundings and what you're going to do next and how you're going to execute what you're going to do next. So you focus on receiving, 
You receive it by some miracle. It was a great receipt. And now you start the process of trying to uh, perform your next move. Well, that player will never become a world-class player. That is the difference right there. And so going back to the topic of player identification, maybe you're right, John, maybe that is an area that more people should be focusing on. Can you identify uh, how much labor is going into receiving a ball? And it's not like there's a right or wrong answer. There's not like, you know, the answer is is two, you know, or the answer is 100. So people are going to have to, again, calibrate themselves because it would change with the level or with, you know, the, the situation maybe. Uh, I, I think we talked about context and, you know, if we're talking about a player from Missouri and, and you're trying to say that this player is, you know, the best player in Missouri, well, what does that, what does that mean in context to, you know, a, a, maybe an average player in Los Angeles uh, in just, you know, a, a run of the mill game. So there's, there's, you know, you can start to calibrate yourself. You could start to look for these types of things, but you have to also calibrate yourself against uh, maybe the world's best example. So you can't just focus on the kids from Missouri. You also have to watch, you know, the Barcelona's you have to watch the man cities to see, you know, that is the example that, that or the standard. I think you like to use the term gold standard. Yeah. And to, and to develop your pattern recognition, watch Iniesta a hundred bajillion times. And then your brain, I'm hoping if you're, if you're deliberately focused on this thing, your brain should over time develop a pattern and then, you have that pattern in mind, and then when you're watching a youth game here in the United States, or when you're watching pros in, in MLS, or when you're watching our youth and senior men's national teams, you apply that pattern matching or that pattern recognition to these players, and then you can maybe assess what kind of a gap exists. But see, here we go again, coming to around to the original point. There is no objective measure uh, with respect to what we're talking about. That doesn't show up on a stat sheet. It, this is the gray area that people get into. And that's, I think, where people start to get into arguments maybe about, you know, I think this player is better than the other player. And then uh, there's no, again, there's no right or wrong answer. But what you ultimately, I guess what it ultimately comes down to is what style of, of football do you want to play? And how do those players how do those individuals fit into that style? And if you have if you if you have a different philosophy and how you want the game to be played compared to somebody else, well, you guys could be choosing completely different players. Then that's not necessarily right or wrong again. And the only way to figure that out, you know, who's better, of course, is to play. Yeah, well, there's that. I mean, look, we're recording on on Thursday. When was it? Yesterday, Schalke played. Schalke played, and and Weston McKinney goes up, you know, on a corner kick and scores a header, you know, and and it's and now it's two one, you know. So Schalke is on a comeback, and you see all the narratives online. Weston McKinney, best player, you know, on Schalke, and he's trying to single handedly take the team on his shoulders and mount a comeback, and all of this stuff. Great. We just talked about Iniesta. Iniesta will never be able, and never what's never able to in his entire career do what Weston McKinney did yesterday. He's not elevating on a corner kick, and then putting power on his head and beating the goalkeeper far post of all places, you know, in the air. Iniesta's has never done that. Okay. So if you want to play that type of smash and grab football, like Schalke does, and like historically uh, MLS does and the U S national team does, well, I guess you pick, you know, Weston McKinney. And I guess you get excited about the Weston McKinney types, but if you want to play how the, global superpowers play or aspire to get to how the global superpowers play which by the way we can execute in CONCACAF and we can execute for all against all the teams maybe except the top 15 in the world at the top 10 in the world then you cannot have a player profile like Weston McKinney you have to have a player profile like Andres Iniesta or tactical guys and technical guys so who's a better player Iniesta or McKinney? Okay, well, what do you, for what? Better player for what? Once you have these tools in your player identification kit, you can absolutely see, you know, in an 11 year old, wow, this 11 year old has a huge potential to play international caliber football. Now, whether he gets there or not is a different story because there's a lot of things that have to happen between 11 and 
20 years of age, let's say. And there's a lot of distractions that happen. And there's a lot of external factors that happen. But the potential, oh, yeah, you can identify the potential, especially if you're calibrated to what a top-level 11-year-old looks like, uh, globally speaking. One of the things that that came to mind was something that you've written about in the past about players having a soccer IQ and you've tried to you've you've attempted to, to kind of explain you know what a good soccer IQ might look like and one of the 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 criteria that you you gave other people you know look that they can look for would be a, a player's turnover rate and how you know you you can use you know a player's amount of turnovers to determine is this player making high risk decisions all the time or are they playing safe or is it somewhere in between so there, there's a lot of things that you can that you can gauge off of how many turnovers a player might make and a player and this is me speaking maybe about a personal example a, a high risk player that that has a high turnover rate might actually be considered a better player sometimes because they they're attempting things uh, maybe you know moves or longer passes or things like that and a player with a higher IQ that has less turnovers might actually fly under the radar of, of somebody that's not looking for these very subtle things that they're doing right like receiving across the body very simply and then distributing a very you know simple pass and and the simplicity of it sometimes is looked at as you know they're not they're not a good player and they get overrun by by players that are you know sliding all over the field or or hitting bombs from from one side of the field to the next or you know th- those tend to get the people's attention but the uh the measuring of the of the people's soccer IQ and the turnovers has been something that I've used in my past when I've been evaluating in players both girls and boys agreed especially especially on the comment you made regarding flying under the radar if you i don't know if it was uh aragones or who the the spanish national team coach was at the time who made a statement about busquets is that he's a super genius but it kind of goes unrecognized for the most part because you just don't see the guy doing anything flashy uh, he receives and passes, receives and distributes, receives and distributes, and the distributions look simple. It's that he makes it look simple, obviously, but it looks simple. It's just a 10, 15, 20-yarder, 20 25-yarder uh, max, and his, and his receptions, you know, it looks like he has all the time and space in the world, but he makes it look that way, one, because he, he knows how to find space, and two, because with his subtle body movements and body fakes and his first touch, he just eludes whatever defender is there pressuring him. But but again, these are things that aren't quantifiable. There's no objective metric. You know that uh, what people are asking me for is, oh, well, what objective measures are you looking for? There's no objective measures. How do you how do you come up with a measure of uh, subtle body feints? You know, five or six of them in in two seconds to shake your defender. I don't see. There's no stat sheet for that. I have a I have a, a line in here that I I didn't get to the other day that I wanted to to ask you. So the the thought that I wrote down is why do people think Paxton is amazing, and what do people not understand about a player like Efra? Mm-hmm. Not that Paxton's fucking atrocious, a terrible player. He's fine. He can play MLS. Not a big deal, but. He's not what they're making him out to be. You can run for days, just like uh, Weston. You can run for days, uh, track back, maybe do some decent tackles. And hey, he can complete a pass or two. That's not bad. That's not bad for an, uh, an American white boy, you know? So all of a sudden, you have a player like that, you, you blow him up through the roof. He doesn't have more than that, John. I don't know what, uh, what other qualities they see in him. He doesn't have more than that. He doesn't have an outrageous final product, a great final product, where he picks a spot and he, and he you know, scores in the goal in the spot that he selects. He can't pick a phenomenal pass in the final third. And yes, people will select specific highlight clips of when he does this, but it's all about consistency. Most of the time, what I see is him making the wrong decision and dribbling into two people. Or three or four. Sure. <laughs> An example that that we talked about internally 
a year ago, two years ago, was the the type of distribution that a player like Paxton has compared to other players, and and you could use you know. Uh, to calibrate what what you're seeing, you can use world class examples to see just how far off you know a player like Paxton might be. But the way that Paxton might hit a 40 yard ball to switch the play is completely different than you know how a Kevin De Bruyne might hit hit the ball, and and the way that the ball floats across the field, uh, or, or I shouldn't say floats because a floating pass is a different type of pass than a driven pass, but. You know the way that the ball flies across the field is is so much different, uh, consistently different uh, between a player like Paxson and a player like De Bruyne. Yeah, no, the word that comes to mind is elegance. There's just no elegance in the player, um, and the word that comes to mind as elegance is because all of Latin America, when they describe player qualities um, and the and the the cracks, they describe them as elegant and when they do something like that they say mira que elegancia it's like look at the elegance you know of this player there is no elegance to Paxton Pamacol he is a prototypical hard-working central midfielder that you know grinds and grinds and grinds there is no elegance to grinding it's funny that you use the word elegance and that that kind I mean it's in the same realm as effortless so when you're when you're describing these types of players, you're using those types of words compared to, you know, cumbersome or uh, hardworking. Like those two words go go together as well. So like it's, you're really kind of you know defining two different types of of players, and you could kind of extend that list. Probably you know who knows how many more words, but um, but yeah, you're you're defining you're defining two different types of players at that point. Yeah, the voc- I think the vocabulary also helps our brains kind of think a certain way and see certain things. If you have these words at your disposal and you start using these words, when you watch a match and you're trying to discern who, you know, between players, who's better and who's worse, maybe if you have these words at your disposal, you're saying, okay, who's elegant? Who's not elegant? Who's the hard worker and who's elegant? And that might facilitate things. And I think that's important for youth coaches to hear and especially parents to hear as well, because they can they can take that to their games on Saturdays and Sundays. They can take that to to their training sessions at the park and they could they could now see, okay, you know, who on my uh, on my kids team or who on my team that I'm coaching, you know, who's the elegant one? Who's the one that does things effortlessly compared to who's the one that has to put in massive, massive amount of labor to get to get things done who is the bowling ball on the field that is you know knocking everybody over you know and should we, should we be celebrating something like that that that's you know something you can use with 8 9 10 11 year olds so another word here's another word when we're talking about players taking somebody else on 1v1 and being successful at it or just played out dribbling what we've typically used in the past is wow you know this player just skips by you versus 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 oh this player you know i don't know dribbles by you or blows by you you know dribbles by you and blows by you are representative of power strength and speed being the reason why you got past your 1v1 matchup versus skipping by you that has a different connotation altogether that's like oh this player effortlessly just like said excuse me uh, i'm just gonna go this way and beats you the example that came to my mind was when gareth bale uh blew past i think it was uh who was it i can't remember the the barcelona outside back i know who you're talking about and i know the player you're talking about yeah where he just blows by a full speeds you know power you know down the 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 left sideline and ends up ends up going into goal yeah and and people will see that and they will be like, oh, look at that. That's an amazing play. That's an amazing player. And, and then other people will see that and be like, eh, I don't agree. And then that's where the the un, or the immeasurable or or unquantifiable aspect comes into it. So then then you're talking about two different styles of of, of playing. And you know what is your personal preference? What do you want for your team or for your club or for your nation? Yeah, two different styles. So that was brute force, power. Great, it's a tool, fantastic. I'm not, you know, taking a dig at it, but if you want to talk about skipping, then what comes to mind is Messi. 
Messi skips by you. He doesn't brute force his way past you. He doesn't, you know, kick the ball to a side and then just it's a 40 yard sprint one on one with his matchup. Two completely different scenarios, two completely different outcomes, usually as well. Mm-hmm. Consistent, con- two, two completely different outcomes consistently, I guess, is another way that it should be put. Yeah, and and here's and here, sorry to interrupt, John. And here's why too. I think it's important to understand. Let's stick with this analogy: the skipping and and the brute force. The brute force way is successful if you're one on one. You have more brute force than the other guy, and there isn't a collective defense behind that other player that's there to crack you when you dribble by the first player. Um, or there isn't some schema, some ladder marking schema to shut you down. Because you can shut down speed if you have more than one player against one player. You know, you're you're 2v1 against that offensive player. When you're skipping by somebody and you're not brute forcing it, the dribble is a lot, you know, closer to your feet. And so there's a lot more control involved. And it doesn't matter if you skip by one and then there, there's another guy right there. You can skip by him too or p- pump the brakes or turn. And there's so many more options to you when you're skipping versus when you're running full bore uh, to try to beat your guy. Some examples that came to my mind or some some points that came to my mind, I guess, were you know, the the rumors were, were being said that Pep couldn't play his style of football in a league like the Premier League because of that you know, brute force that a lot of the, the teams and players possessed at the, at the time. And they said that, you know, that possession style would not work in an environment like that. You couldn't, you couldn't find those players that could skip past uh, defenders because, you know, the defenders are, are, are too physical and, and things like that. And so ultimately Pep proved them wrong and paved the way for others to, to then join in that playing style as well. Like, I, I don't know how you, how you see it, but you know, Pep kind of changed the way that that Klopp might have played, or potentially changed the way that Klopp played and the the selection of players that that he had at Liverpool, because he doesn't have those big brute force type players. He has, you know, a different type of player, and so they they've both they've both proven that that style can work in something like the Premier League. No, for sure, agreed, John. I I don't, I don't have much more to add to that, um, except for. You know, Spanish football has been a lot more successful in the recent past than English football, um, insofar as Europe is concerned, um, barring an exception here or there. And not just the Champions League, but Europa League as well. I think there's a reason for that. And the reason is the emphasis on technique and, and tactics, technique and decision making. Over the other, over the other brute force sort of methodologies, that's one. And then internationally speaking, uh, the nations that are always dominant also have a huge emphasis on technique and brains, and not just power. If it were just strictly power, then pretty much everybody at those levels is very athletic. Um, so athlete versus athlete that kind of gets nullified so what makes the difference it's the technique and brains and i want to try to give give people a little bit of like a light at the end of the tunnel because they're obviously might be listening to this and thinking like you know what about my environment and so examples that we've used in the past are historically ncaa has been more of that brute force type of environment and very physical um, very similar to the style we described when giving the Gareth Bale example, but then you had a coach like Caleb Porter that came in and played a certain a certain way, a very Pep esque or Barcelona esque, and 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 he proved that that could be done in that brute force environment as well. And then of course the other example that we've we've talked about um, until we're blue in the face is. is Brian proved it with the LA Galaxy Academy and Chivas USA Academy, you know, that in American youth soccer, you can also play this way and win and, and develop players. Uh, so, you know, people that are, that are wondering, Oh, can I do this in my, in my environment? My answer is always, absolutely. It's not easy, but you absolutely can. A hundred percent. And, and to, 
tag on to that as well. You know, Brian proved that the American youth can also go overseas and play against the best academies in the world and play this style of football and be successful. No, and then and then here in MLS, you know, I've been waiting for a very long time for something similar to what Brian did at the youth level and Caleb did at the college level to happen. And it did happen. It happened with Tata Martino. And Tata Martino came over and and built the Atlanta franchise from the ground up uh, and ended up winning, you know, a, a title here. He did it playing this style of football. And, you know, it's unfortunate to see at times when people want to rewrite history and kind of, I don't want to say discredit him because then they'd be discrediting themselves, but they kind of undermine this notion that he played this way by saying, well, yeah, but look, he had Miguel Almiron. He had athletes on his team, you know, uh, Jackson Martinez, all these guys are athletes, super athletes. And, but guys, Everybody in the league has athletes, you know, but yeah, it's only him that plays this style of football. So there's a distinction there that needs to be made. And the same can happen with the national teams, youth national teams and senior men's national teams. But here we are, we're, we're still waiting. Yeah. When you say that everybody has athletes, everybody also has the ability to choose a certain style or, or, or type of player and the type of players that Tata Martino chose were ultimately different types of players than you know, the New York Red Bulls chose or Columbus crew chose and it, and it resulted in a, in a completely different style of football. And like you mentioned too, we have the ability to choose different players for our national team, which would ultimately give us a different product on the field. But again, like you said, we're still waiting for that. We're still choosing. Yeah. Player selection again, because this is the topic of the podcast, right? one criteria you have to first you have to have the coaching chops to be able to implement this style of football that is a certainty you have to have the coaching chops and not many have it let alone here in the united states because everybody's of the same sort of mindset that you can't do it and you know you have to be in europe and you have to have the best players or in south america and it's nonsense so you need to have the coaching chops and then secondly is you need to have the player identification eyeball to pick the right players, which are here, you know, the objection to why you couldn't play this way at the youth level was always because Gary, Brian, listen, uh, these are American kids, you know, they don't, they're not Spanish kids. They're not Ghanaian kids. They're not Italian. They're not French. They don't have the technique or brains. They don't, it's not in their DNA. It's not in their culture. So they'd always have the excuse that, there were no such players here that would enable them to play uh, the style of football that we're talking about. And, okay, we proved them wrong. We do have the players. Look, we selected them, and Brian executed. And then at the college level, they'd say the same exact excuse. We don't have the players to play a Barcelona-type football in, at the college game. The college game is too physical. There's too many substitutes allowed. There's all, all, all The season is too short. You can't train them long enough. Every excuse in the world. And then Caleb Porter selects his squad and then had the coaching chops at that level to implement the style. And he had the style. Maybe we can look up the stats. I don't know, John, how many passes per game and p- possession numbers and everything. The guy did it. And this... And Proved everybody wrong. We have the players. And then in MLS, the same excuse again. Oh, Gary, you don't know what you're talking about. We don't have the players. You don't understand salary cap stuff. You can't do this. You know, the league restricts, you know, uh, who you can get on your team. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Pick this squad because he has the eyeball for the type of player that can play this style of football at this level. He picked the players. He had the coaching chops to implement the style. He executed and won his title playing this type of football in the quote-unquote so-called league that is too physical to play this way. And if you go higher up the ladder, you have Man City. And Pep being able to do it in England. Oh, Pep, you know what the fuck you're talking about. You can't do it here. The league's too physical. Nonsense. And now we're still hearing the same song and dance with the U.S. men's national team, the youth national teams, and the senior men's national team. Oh, Gary, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. We don't have the players. Show me the players. You don't know anything. 
okay, we're, we're passing as an, an ear, an epoch right now where we can have this discussion and I'm pointing who the players are to you. We have the technical players. And instead of picking the technical players, you're picking players that can't do the job at that level. And so here we are, John, still waiting, still waiting for somebody to come along, have the balls and the expertise to pick the right players and then implement the style of play. I just want to point out too that you mentioned multiple times, you mentioned at this level, there's levels, 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 which I think really needs to be hammered home to people. It's that, yeah, there are levels to this for players, for coaches, for executives, for, for, you know, for every position in, in the soccer ecosystem. And the example of Caleb Porter is, you know, at that level, at the college level, Caleb did have the chops to execute it. And he did he uh, did not have the chops to execute that same or, or, or get the same results while he was at Portland. So levels to it, you know, maybe maybe the college level was more appropriate. Maybe it was easier to execute there for him. Who knows? But Tata Martino, on the other hand, you know, he was able to execute that at the at the professional level here in the United States and globally. So levels is, is really key, I think. A hundred percent. And I, I just want to add a caveat. I don't know if Caleb doesn't have the coaching chops to do it at the MLS level. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Because there's other parameters that come into play, right? Such as you know, if you want to compare it to Tata, well, Tata, I'm sure, came into the league and came into Atlanta United with certain demands and certain uh, contractual demands that he has full authority and power for maybe player selection, John. You know, above and beyond whoever the general manager or technical director ha- happens to be there. Caleb may not have had that luxury. Some, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. So depending on those power dynamics, maybe Caleb got screwed from a roster perspective. And then it's like, oh, geez, you know, I've had my, I had my GM or the owner of Portland tell me I have to have these five players and I have to sell or ship out these other five players. Well, now I'm screwed. You know, I have no choice but to adapt and change what it is that I would like to do. So anyways, just a little caveat there. Yeah. No, and and, and I, I had thought about that quite a bit while watching Caleb's teams because it seemed like he wanted or there was an effort at, at one point to bring in a certain style of player. Um, what's his name? The I think he's from Argentina, Diego something, Valeri. Like bring, bringing in a type of player like that. And then, but if you put in a, a, a Diego Valeri who yeah, he's not like a world, a world beater by any means, but if you surround him with players that are far less quality than him, you know, okay, then you're not gonna be able to execute what you want. So if Caleb wanted, you know, Valeri or two or three other players like that, and then the front office was left to make the decisions with the leftover pool of money, then you might not, you might not get what you want. So I, I do, again, like I kind of sympathize for, for Caleb in that aspect, but I also don't want to sympathize so much where people start to think of that as an excuse. No. Yeah. That, well, that's always the problem, right? Is, is we open it up for excuses at that point. Cause the reality is maybe that's the case. And maybe the case is Caleb's not capacitated at this level to, to execute what needs to be executed. Maybe he was good enough to identify players to play this style when it was the college level, you know, cause maybe all his colleagues or his opponents, um, were just that much worse than him, you know? And so the gap that was formed there is appreciable enough for him to execute. And this goes to what you wanted to bring home. Uh, the concept to is everyday coaches here that are coaching you nine, you 15, you 12 boys, girls, you can do this too, especially in the United States. You're very fortunate because most everybody in the United States doesn't have this level of, of passion or interest to, to pursue this. And if you have this level of interest in pursuing playing this way, the right way, because there is such a thing, um, in my opinion, or the most delightful way or the way that can develop players the best, you can do it because everybody else is not trying to do it. So you have a huge advantage just by the mere fact that you have the will to do it. Now go learn get better at identifying the players that have the right tools 
and then learn how to train the players the correct way and then go execute. You'll be hugely successful. I know, John, that you've seen countless testimonials from people who, you know, we've had the privilege of sharing our information with that they have gone out and essentially had bad news bears, you know, as their teams. And they end up completely doing a 180 and having wildly successful seasons and wildly successful years from, you know, from the inception point forward. And they get complimented by their own parents, by their own players, by the referees, by their opponents, by their club director, by their region. They're getting questions. Wow. How the hell do you have your kids playing uh, this type of football? Yeah, I've definitely seen the testimonials, but the thing that always hits home the most with me is my own personal experience and and how I was able to to demonstrate it with with my own players. So I it just it just resonates with me when I see or when I hear these types of things. Like I I really resonate with the with the Caleb example because people said to me, "You can't play that way in high school soccer." And I was coaching high school girls at the time and and then I did my, my teams played fantastically and they, they were able to, to dominate possession. They were, they were able to absolutely uh, destroy teams and, and they didn't do it in, in the brute force type of way. I didn't have those types of players. I had, I had players that, you know, did the simple things, right. We trained the simple things over and over and over again, and we were able to have great success with it. So I, I believe it because I've seen it with my own eyes and then, you know, the, the the amount of testimonials that I've also seen make me really believe it as well. So it's kind of a double whammy. And, and what's interesting in your case or in, in all high school cases, I suppose, is that you don't have, you don't even have, you're handicapped. You don't have the luxury of going out and selecting players. Uh, so that whole 50% of the equation is taken from you. Yep. 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 And, and, you know, having to, to work with players that aren't club players. They, you know, they only play in during high school season, like all, all those types of things. And, and we were still able to do that. We were still able to execute those players. We're still able to be part of, of that type of a system. It didn't affect how, how we wanted to play. Uh, and, and we were able to do it. So it, when I, when I hear other people make excuses, it really, really irritates me. Indeed. All right, that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions about anything that we covered today, please let us know. All questions are welcomed. We would love to continue the conversation with you. These are deep, deep, deep topics, and we know that we're barely scratching the surface on some of this stuff. So whatever is on your mind, just reach out to us and let us know, and we'd be happy to to keep going with you. Uh, we ended this episode by talking a little bit about our coaching program. I talked a little bit about how much it did for me and for my teams. So if you're wondering at all what that is real quick, you are going to be able to hear about that in uh, just a moment. So if you have any questions about that as well, please, please, please make sure that you reach out to us and we'd be happy to help you on that front as well. Once again, thank you for listening and we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 podcast. When it comes to coaching education, being able to discern what will and won't help you can be a costly and confusing exercise. I know this because I've experienced it myself. It's frustrating. The internet is flooded with so much information. There are thousands of drills out there for you to watch. There are tons of things that you can try with your teams and with your players, but without context and without proper guidance from a legit mentor, you're not going to get the edge that you're looking for or the results that you want. That's what the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program gets right. It's rooted in the real experiences of coaching boys and girls soccer right here in America. As a coach, Brian Kleiben has faced the same issues like training just twice per week, kids missing practice, field congestion, pay to play, you name it. But by using the 343 framework and staying consistent with the methodology, he has been able to overcome the obstacles and produce college level, professional, and international caliber players. What the 343 coaching program offers you is unlike anything else in the country because it cannot be replicated. It's not theory or speculation like you'd see in a presentation, and it's not staged and scripted 
like you'd get at a convention. This program is the work of a master practitioner, his real art, captured and delivered to you in its purest form to help you gain an advantage and become a better coach. The program features videos of Brian mic'd up during actual training sessions with his own players and teams as they prepare for their league games and tournaments. This is the only program in the country that gives you this type of authentic, behind-the-curtain look at player, team, and coach development. So if you're looking for just drills, well, we've got those, but more importantly, we have the mentorship, the proven results, and the community of ambitious coaches that you won't find anywhere else. To experience all of this, consider joining the 343 Premium Coaching Education Program. You can find all of the details at 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening. Do you have a question about the topic that we covered in this episode? If so, we'd love to hear from you and we will be answering some of your questions at the end of next week's episode. Submit your questions on Twitter or head to 343coaching.com to leave your question in the comment section. Make sure that you are subscribed to 343FM on your favorite podcasting app. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more platforms. And if you're feeling super generous, we'd love it if you dropped us a five-star rating or a review. And don't forget that you can find our entire library of podcast episodes, over 200 written articles, and our online courses that help accelerate the development of coaches and players using methods that have been proven to work here in the United States. Once again, all of that can be found at 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next time here on the 343 Podcast.